Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. And I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time To, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time To Write, a new publication on Medium. And we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Kat Chow is the author of Seeing Ghosts. She is a writer and journalist and was a reporter at NPR, where she was a founding member of the Code Switch team. Her work has appeared in the New York Times Magazine, The Atlantic, and on Radiolab, among others. She's one of Pop Culture's Happy Hour's fourth chairs. She has received a residency fellowship from the Malay Colony and was an inaugural recipient of the Guy Day Up Fellowship at the Jack Jones Literary Arts Retreat. Welcome, Kat. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your beautiful memoir, Seeing Ghosts. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to talk with you. Oh, you too. Would you mind letting listeners know a little bit about your book? And then I'll dive in and ask you my zillions of questions. Yeah. Seeing Ghosts is a book about loss and specifically the loss of my mother when I was 13 years old. And in it, I try to trace the ways my parents grieved and learned to grieve through the losses of their own parents, but also being immigrants from Hong Kong and China. 
And it's a lot about the inheritances that we have from family over generations, but also the idea of what we owe. So what we owe to ourselves, to our parents, to our cultures, to some degree, and also to our ideas of home. And that's really what I was trying to answer and get at with seeing ghosts. Wow. I mean, there was... This is one of the best descriptions like of a person that the way you described your mom was so vivid and real and the little details that you sprinkled throughout, like the little things that she did and her body when she's putting on her stockings and just like, no, I mean, I got such a sense the way she smiled with her teeth, like in her lips, like, yeah, like this. Yeah. I (laughs) I can see the whole thing, like the way the little things. Anyway, it was it was a vivid, like, elegy almost to, to oh, you. So. Thank you for saying that because I think when writing about my mom, you know, when someone passes, they just become this kind of unknown entity. And I think that's one of the hardest things about loss is that you no longer have access to this person. And in writing Seeing Ghosts, I was trying to keep my mom alive in this memory of her. And one of the things that I really wanted to try to do was recreate this image of her and especially her body and the physicality of it, because that's one of the things that's lost in grief. And so as a writer, that was something that I was really trying to push myself towards. So interesting. Well, well done. I mean, really great. I was, I'm trying to like, it's a great example of this like show don't tell. And even like my own, like trying to write about stuff, like the little details that those are what makes a person in the end there. That's what makes them into who they are. And that so easily forgotten. So anyway, I just love that. Yeah. And you also have like little scenes. So I wanted to just read this like one thing you said, careful, you said, as I eased the zipper away from your skin, so it wouldn't catch. I smelled a whiff of the strawberry shampoo and conditioner you bought from Walmart, knocking a half dozen bottles into your cart whenever there was a sale. I mean, that's like such a perfect detail, right? (laughs) You know what shampoo, you're not just like, my mom used this kind of shampoo. You're not even saying, my mom was the type of woman who shopped at Walmart. And your use (laughs) of the second person throughout the narrative, I also found was like super effective that everything was, you did this, you did this, you did this. How did you decide to do that? Oh, that's such a great question. I mean, I knew from the start that I wanted to merge this idea of my mother as a memory or as a ghost with a couple of different elements, one of them being this really macabre joke that she made about taxidermy when I was a young girl because she knew I was afraid of dead things. And the joke basically was, before she even knew that she was terminally ill or sick, was when I pass, I want you to put me in your future apartment and have me stuffed. (laughs) That's such a strange joke to retell. I, I copied that whole thing. When I die, you said, as you made that face, I want you to get me stuffed so I can sit in your apartment and watch you all the time. This was the first and would be the only time that you would address your death with me. Yeah. So Zibby, one of the funniest parts of this, and then I'll answer your question, but one of the funniest parts of this, as I was writing this book, I was trying to tell this story to someone I didn't really know that well. And she got this really concerned look on her face and sort of shifted uncomfortably in her seat and was like, wait, do you have your mother in your apartment at home? And I was so, I was, I was embarrassed, but I thought that was so funny. And also like, oh my gosh, could you, could you imagine? So it's definitely a joke. And in the narrative of seeing ghosts itself, I try and use it as well, I'll leave it to the reader to decide if these ghosts are imagined or if it's a metaphor or, or what, how real they are. But I love this idea of 
death and taking this fear of, you know, my mother and this joke she made. But also there's this idea in a lot of East Asian cultures, but also Chinese cultures that my own family prescribes to, which is the dead are meant to be appeased. Otherwise their spirits might be restless. And as a child, that is such a scary concept to hear about your own mother or relatives who have passed. And I wanted to merge all of that into a way to structure this book around this ghost who I address sporadically and and very frequently. And so I loved that. And I'd always wanted to try and write this book this way. And it was only this attempt with seeing ghosts that I was really able to do it. Wow. I have to say, as a mom of four, who like, I, I worry about my death all the time, only in relation to like how much they'll miss me. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, they would miss you so much. Not to, you know, pat myself on the back, but yes, my kids would, would miss me a lot. And like, I, you know, that's the part I worry about all the time. So then I was reading your book and I was like, huh, (laughs) a stuffed version of me for for their, and then I was sort of, my dad was involved for a little while with, you know, the, the wax museum. I can't remember what it's called. Madame Tussauds wax museum. So as a gift, they gave him a wax statue of himself with one of his actual suits and ties and shirts. Oh my gosh. No. Yeah. Like tailored in the same way, he always wears his pants a little too long, so he looks a little schlumpy in the bottom. And I shouldn't even say that, but anyway, and like his hair <laughs> and his smile, and literally he has, he has it in his house. And every time anyone walks by, it's like ah! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so freaky. And I'm like, I do not want to inherit that ever. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. no, 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 not this. Thing. I mean, but that's exactly the type of thing that. I think would be really hard to throw out too. I mean, I think, yes. yeah, you would donate it or, yes. or put it somewhere else. I would else, donate but... it somewhere, not in, not in like, you know, the kitchen or something. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Over, over your kitchen table with orange juice, just waiting, yeah. asking Zibby. No, it's, it's life size too. So it's not even like I could hide it somewhere. I'm t- <laughs> you also wrote about grief in general a lot. And you talked about, so sad, your brother's you know, not stillborn, but he only lived a few hours, which is like the saddest thing imaginable at birth. And you wrote, this is the thing about grief. Despite how much we want to forget, how much we try to ignore, the dead are still here, waiting, watching. I try to commit the exact location of my mother's photo to memory. One, two, three down. One, two, three, four over. When a temple employee flicks the lights on and off. Not exactly related to Jonathan's death. Anyway, tell me about grief in general. (laughs) I mean, so the part that you just read was actually this scene in this Buddhist temple in New York where my family has basically a shrine or memorial or something, photos, to my mother and her parents. And visiting that for the first time as an adult was such a strange feeling because for many years, the way that my family had dealt with my mother's death, dealt in in air quotes, was just to not really address her and Going to the cemetery, for example, was really painful. And this idea of having to face the dead was really crucial in terms of writing this, where you can't look away. And it's something that is an ongoing measure or an ongoing thing that you're always trying to challenge yourself to do. And I really thought that was an important thing to show because in Seeing Ghosts, there's just such this giant theme of where remains might be with my dad and his search for his own father or my brother, Jonathan, who you mentioned, who died just a couple hours after he was born. And I really thought it was important to play with the idea of a physical, the physical nature of grief and how 
a lot of what was really important in my process of dealing with loss was figuring out ways to grieve in the absence of, uh, you know, a physical grave or in the absence of being able to bring myself to the cemetery. And I mean, I keep thinking about this in terms of COVID too, just because we have all gone through so much loss in this past year. And one of my uncles who I write about in this book passed suddenly last April and not being able to physically be there for his funeral because of safety reasons was so, so difficult. And it was painful, but being able to rely on my family's rituals that I have taken and adapted as my own as an adult was really beautiful. So I burned some incense and I just think that it shows this ongoing nature of loss and grief and how you learn to make ways for yourself to experience those things. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Yes, we had a lot of Zoom funerals during COVID and it's yeah. the worst. Yeah, it never gets easier. No, well, yeah. I'm really sorry for your loss and, you know, your mom, yeah. and, you know, all of it. Could we discuss your dad going to jail? That was like, that came out of nowhere in this. Oh. I could not believe that part. You know, I know it's just such a minor thing in the in the midst of, of the greater scope, but the way you and your two sisters sort of rallied and, you know, also this whole pressure, both with paying his bail, but also the staggering healthcare costs of your mother's illness. And I feel like you're both your parents like felt so res- uh, responsible is maybe the wrong word, but just felt so guilty that their tending to them was costing you all so much money, right? And the, and the imposition it sort of placed on the family. So just tell me a little bit yeah. about that. Exactly. I mean, so those two anecdotes that you mentioned where my father and going to jail and then also my mother and her deciding to take on less effective healthcare for money reasons. Those are two examples of how I really wanted to play with the idea of at some point, a lot of people reach these ages where they realize that they are the ones who have to caretake for their parents. 
And I think for my father's story in general, that was one of the pivotal moments where my sisters and I realized that we had to come together as a unit and really assemble, as you mentioned. And one of the themes in Seeing Ghosts that I mentioned earlier is about the idea of what we owe and what our debts are. And also this idea of survival and the sacrifices that we make or the, the sort of concepts that we adhere to in order to feel as though we can survive or be successful. And for my father, this was this concept of property ownership, which he learned from his mother in Hong Kong and in China. And for my mother, it was this idea of self-definition and also reaching toward, I think, a, a higher class or sort of this idea of money or wealth as a way to prove to her father and other people that she had made it in America. And the, the difficult thing to grapple with as I was writing this was realizing that for my parents, these ideas of success or survival had not really been fully realized for a lot of different circumstances. My father's property ownership did not go as he'd imagined. And my mother and, you know, her successes financially did not go as she had imagined. And they all came at great expense. And that was something that was really hard to, to reckon with as a writer and also in my own lived experiences as a daughter, too. So how do you approach life differently knowing sort of all this, like, I feel like people who have gone through grief and loss, like there's something intangible that sort of shifts, like the, the view just like crystallizes or something. Like, do you feel that because of your loss, like some things are just obvious to you that might not be to other people, or do you live your life a little bit differently? That's a really good question. Thank you. I think that, (laughs) (laughs) no, it's really provocative because I mean, I would like to say that I do live my life differently. I feel like that's something that I would aspire to, but in the moments and day to day, I can still feel and experience the grief of, you know, my uncle's passing, my mother's passing, other people's passing, just so, so much. But I think one of the things that I strive to always remind myself is how grief can be really protracted. It can stretch over time, but also to try and remember the loss of someone on this big picture way where they're not just their death. They're the moments that made up their life and trying to ground myself in those memories of the little idiosyncrasies that made up my mom and the the teeth face, for example, or the speech patterns that she would fall into. Those are the things that I found really important to preserve. So even right now, I, I notice myself, I think it's probably a response to COVID and just being so afraid of the uncertainty, sort of like what you mentioned with your kids. I find myself trying to be more intentional about my relationship with people and the things I remember and I'm grateful for. So with my dad, we have a complicated relationship, of course, but I try to remember his sense of humor and as subtle as it is. And I try to find, you know, compassion and empathy in the way that he can be so stubborn and also me too and how I learn these things from him. And with my sisters too, and my husband, CJ, and everything. And so going through so much loss at a young age taught me how to see things kind of big picture. But as an adult, it taught me how to sort of zoom in on the tiny details. Love that. Yeah, I think that's one thing I feel like I've learned more in COVID is like zooming in, like focusing on today. And so far, I'm like, I feel like it's kind of like a hack, you know, like 
right? <laughs> but it's working, right? It's it's like mitigating yeah. my anxiety in the short term. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll just like go with this and, you know. Yeah, it helps you not doom scroll for hours. Yeah, well, I don't know about that, but, you know. <laughs> so are you working on anything else now or like what are you up to? What's your day-to-day like and all that? My day-to-day is really just a mix of getting ready for this book launch and hopefully working on some other projects in the works that I'm not ready to talk about. But in the future, I'd love to write more books. I'm a reporter and journalist by nature, and I'm so excited to have the mind space to get back into reporting. And I think one thing that I'm really looking forward to is seeing what happens now and When you focus for so many years on a project like Seeing Ghosts, it takes everything from you, or at least it did for me. And I'm looking forward to reacquainting myself with the world as someone who is not writing this book. (laughs) How long was it, like start to finish? I sold the book in 2018, so since then, but really I'd been working on it for so many years earlier. I'd say between eight to 10 years, I had this idea in my head and it just was you know, it's, it's just something that I've always wanted to do. So well, how great. I'm glad. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad that it's coming out. Yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> wow. What advice would you have for aspiring authors? One thing that a very good friend, Maria Karimji, told me when I started writing Seeing Ghosts was writing a book is a series of trust falls. And I loved that idea so much because there are so many opportunities for you to be afraid But having trust in yourself and the process of being a creative person or a writer is so important. But also having trust in the people around you who, whether they're friends or an editor or, you know, your publisher, that's also just as important, too, because publishing can be such a machine. And also writing an entire book is really hard. But having faith that you can ultimately do it and that you will be satisfied because it is yours is really crucial. Very true. Amazing. If you could just name one thing you miss the most about your mom, what is it? Oh, I miss her hugs. Oh. Yeah. You know, just that's all. I think it's her up a little. That's a really nice question because I think that's one of the things you can't get back is physical touch. So, but I think that's really, it's a lovely image. So thank you for that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to make you at the very end. No, it's nice to think about these things too, because I think it's just a reminder of what's not there, but also everything that we still have with the people who are still present. Okay. Well, Kat, thank you for this talk. And I'm really excited for you and so rooting for you with the book launch. So good luck. And, you know, thank you for chatting today. Thank you, Zibby. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.